0: Alrighty, well, welcome to Laid Back Lush. My name is Michael, and this is Gabe. And we are going to be talking about wine. Uh, primarily, we are looking to talk to people who are maybe new to wine or who have had experiences in wine and want to uh, expand themselves a little bit.
1: Uh, so what are, what are we doing here, Gabe? Uh, well, we are trying to get people who... Maybe are a little intimidated by the wine world or think that the wine world is elitist or snobby, which it certainly can be, and make things just a little more approachable, a little more uh, beginner friendly, because uh, I'm sure you know, I know I experienced this first getting into wine. It's just kind of an intimidating world. It's huge. There's so much out there and uh, just, you know, want to make it a little more accessible to people. Cool. So uh, episode one, we are
0: going to be talking about what sort of things do you you think a person needs to be thinking first
1: off? So I think for the average person, it's kind of just finding what you like and getting into that and then branching out from there, really. Okay. Um, Um, So as
0: far as today, what what are we going to be going through?
1: Well, uh, I figured thinking about where do most people when they hear about what I do in the wine world, I get a lot of how do I buy a bottle and kind of from there I was thinking also what are some of the accessories that Mm. you should Mm. have on hand to be able to enjoy wine properly? Because even though there are very few hard and fast rules to wine, particularly your drinkware is a very important factor in being able to actually, uh, Enjoy wine to its fullest potential, at least in my opinion. Okay, so today we'll be talking about, uh,
0: I'm guessing, some glassware, some Mm -hmm. other various accessories. And then uh, we're also going to be talking about actually selecting the wine itself. Yeah. Uh, So
1: just to start off, though, what what got you into wine? So back in 2017 time frame, uh, my... Father and I discovered that the state we live in, which is Virginia, um, has a pretty large and active wine industry. We have 283 or 5 somewhere in that ballpark wineries, last I checked, and we went on a wine tour, and I found myself just kind of becoming more and more fascinated and Tasting wines and going to tasting rooms, talking to staff and just kind of learning just, you know, tidbits here and there about wine. And from there, uh, I started taking classes through uh, WSET, which is the Wine and Spirit Education Trust. They're a pretty large um, body of educators in the world of wine and spirits and started taking uh, classes through them and... Uh, now I am level three certified. I'm not a certified educator through them. Uh, that's a pretty protected title that they like yeah. to keep pretty tied down for good reason, obviously. Uh, but uh, I am level three certified. So, you know, I, I've gotten a lot of wine knowledge, you, you know, some of your stuff. Yeah, just just a little bit. I would I hope. just <laughs> <laughs> enough to talk about it at least. Yeah.
0: So what would you say, like, some of the first conversations that you had at those wineries, what What are, like, one or two examples of experiences that you had that really just made you feel like, I need to study this?
1: Um, I think one of the big conversations that I've had multiple times is uh, just kind of finding out what the factors in a vineyard are that influence... How a grape will taste once it's made into wine. Mm, um, mm. And going around, you know, you s- will occasionally pick up on um, conversations around, well, our winemaker chooses to, you know, put this wine in barrel for this amount of time to mm. achieve this effect in the flavor profile. So the wine. some of the
0: winemakers' methods really started to capture you.
1: Yeah. And just kind of seeing. Because I think until you really get onto a winery site or a vineyard site, wine, at least in my brain, up until I started to actually study it, was so much more of a product end of it. So you just kind of think, well, grapes go into a big vat and then wine happens. <laughs> and really, that is kind of, I guess, fundamentally what happens, but it's a lot more. Yeah. Than just that. It's, there it's so an involved factors. process. Yes. Where somebody's
0: tastes and the wine growing and the terroir, which mm-hmm. we'll all get into, factors in. As far as uh, how I got into wine, I briefly worked on a vineyard uh, and that really kind of geared me up to wanting to learn about this sort of thing. Uh, I was briefly involved in sales. Um, but what made you want to? Because you contacted me and and were saying that you wanted to be able to do a podcast, you wanted to be able to talk about wine a bit, especially for, like you said, people who maybe were a little off-put by the snobbery of it all. Yeah. Um, What
1: what really made you want to do this podcast? Uh, Well, I guess I just felt like, (laughs) particularly with this year and lockdowns and everything, I was really missing that aspect of the wine world, of just being able to go out and talk to people about wine. And I love talking about wine. And I know you like talking about wine. This is very true. Because we talk about wine together. <laughs> and, uh, yes, yes, we do. So for me, a lot of it was, it. the idea just kind of popped into my head one morning. Um, and also, you know, when I, when I talk to people, I do get a lot of questions about wine.
0: Anytime that you become educated in a topic, especially something with, with the romance
1: and the spread of wine, yeah, people are going to have questions for you. And I know, you know, a lot of people either just don't have the time or... Um, for whatever reason, don't desire to take actual classes like I took. And that's perfectly legitimate. Not everybody wants to. I mean, I took the classes because I wanted to start actually working in wine. Yeah. And, um, and you're going to be reaping a lot of those benefits for yourself,
0: mm-hmm. hopefully being able to share some of them during the time that we have on, on in this conversation. Yeah.
1: And so I wanted to make what I know more accessible and also uh, just because there's a lot about the world of wine and I'm sure you're in the same boat. There's just so much that you don't know. You never really come to the end of wine knowledge. And I figured this would also be a good opportunity to continue learning myself and learning up on topics for episodes or or what have you. I just think it'd be a really fun time. And again, like we've already said, I just, uh, I get a lot of questions and I figured maybe kind of just start answering them in a, in a pretty, you know, fundamental way in a way that is easy to engage with, and that people can come in and say, "Yeah, like this is this makes more sense than going into whatever place kind of aimlessly and yeah,
0: just grabbing something that sounds good with a, yeah. a decent label." Which there's there's a place for the random pick. Yeah, during my time working uh, in a wine shop, I. Actually, the thing that really drew me even to the idea of the podcast was the idea of being able to talk wine again because when I was in that context, um that's what I enjoyed. I enjoyed seeing people discover. I enjoyed seeing people find areas where, you know, they would come back and be like, "Hey, that that wine that you gave to me from Spain, it was it was really exactly what I wanted." Yeah. I didn't even know it. Um and so really the the joint discovery process is what really draws me to the world of wine yeah of course when you're working in a shop there there are sales um, yeah, sales things that are going on incentives behind the scenes um, but you know with with everything that we are offering like glassware is an issue your your accessories are an issue the wine is an issue and, and really being able to take people through the path of education in order to find something that not necessarily is the right thing for as far as the, the correct decision, but the decision yeah. that's correct for them. Mm-hmm. And so being able to take w- the education path like you have and have that discussion with you, uh, I thought would just be valuable. Well, thank um, you. Yeah. I'm uh, flattered. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, first things first, um, let's talk some glassware.
1: Yes, let's do that. So what is your um, kind of philosophy? Cause I know, Some people are very into, like, I get whatever glassware is handed to me, um, or I just kind of blind buy, or some people get very into varietal-specific glasses. So what's your personal philosophy on glassware? If you're at a party, never insult the glassware. That's the first (laughs) thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's very good advice. (laughs) You know, if, if
0: you get handed some wine in a solo cup, don't turn your nose up at
1: it. That's just poor etiquette. I have and, drunk yeah. a lot of wine out of solo cups at and parties. Some of that <laughs>
0: wine wasn't actually
1: bad. Yeah. Um, so it, it's kind of
0: you. You taste what you can with what you're given. As far as what I'm willing to give guests, depends on the guests. Yeah. Um, for for me, it's obviously an issue of cost in a lot of cases. But mm. my my personal philosophy is that you need to have at least a, a red glass a white glass. And that's about it. Yeah. Um, If you have uh, a nice white glass and a nice red glass that are going to serve you well, you keep those for yourself for your personal tastings Then great. If you have the funds to be able to to have a nice one, that's good. Mm -hmm. But really, you have to be thinking, especially uh, for me, I've had some experience. So I like actually having uh, a nicer glass. And in some cases, I like to have a, not varietal specific, but sometimes Mm -hmm. a region specific. Yeah. But that's not something that you really need to start off with. And that's certainly not something that I'm thinking of every time that I'm opening a bottle of wine.
1: Yeah. I I think I'm pretty much in the same place you are with that. I, I do... Very much believe in having red glasses and white glasses and flute glasses if you enjoy champagne. Yes, which I love bubbly. Yes. I was actually named Bubbles Captain of my wine shop. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. That's a title you should get printed out and, you know, put on your wall or something. You know, I'm going to start
0: wearing a hoodie without
1: context. (laughs) And that'll be the name of the shop Hoodies Without Context. And sometimes I think people kind of, uh, Side-eye the idea of a flute glass, but it really actually does have a purpose because, A, it's going to keep your wine cooler for longer because less surface area is in contact with the room temperature of the glass. And because of the shape of it, you're not going to get as much carbon dioxide escaping as quickly, so your wine's going to stay sparkly for a little bit longer than it's going to in a bigger glass.
0: Yeah, which you can can smell a nice sparkling wine inside Mm -hmm. of a Chardonnay glass just fine. But you're not going to be able to enjoy it for as long. Yes. So I I like the idea of having a red, a white, and a champagne glass. That that would be probably a good place to start. If not, then just a red and a white is fine. Yeah. Especially if you
1: know that you are not really, or at least for the moment, you're not really into sparkling wine. Like, I don't drink a whole lot of sparkling wine, but... You know, I know do. It's, it's. I drink oh, so I know. much sparkling oh, wine. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to lie. Probably one out of three bottles that I
0: buy is a sparkling wine of some type. Typically, I go for for cava, but that's a, a story for another day. I do love cava. Cava is delicious, and more people should drink it. Um, but as far as a red and a white glass, uh, main things that we're, we're that I'm looking at is your red glass is going to be a bit larger. Mm-hmm. Your white glass is going to be a bit smaller. Yep. That's for temperature. Yep. Um, you're going to want a tapered top in order to collect all those lovely molecules rising off the surface mm-hmm. of the wine and concentrating them into your nose. And, and that's kind of the whole purpose behind the taper itself.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I know that we
0: had mentioned earlier Rydell glasses and... Uh, spy oh, Spyglau and... Um, But you really don't need to be dropping as much. Really, it's about just developing what you're comfortable drinking out of, especially during the first couple of
1: months, and I would say even
0: maybe during the first year of just casual wine drinking.
1: Yeah. You're looking at
0: some some basic purchases. I
1: mean, I've been studying wine for, uh, like, really studying wine for almost two years now, and... I just got professional glassware this past week, so <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> which I, I had solid glassware before. So it's not like I was drinking out of cheap stuff. But, you know, I, I finally made the jump. So it, it really is uh kind of just on your own journey into wine when you feel like the time is right. Um, I finally, I found a, a source that I trust for um, recommendations because oh. even among professional glassware I mean there's so many companies out there and so many of them are very expensive and some of them are are doing things with the glasses
0: where it's just like, well, that was definitely a style choice. Yes,
1: I have. I I am very utilitarian in my drinking. I, I don't need your brand name <laughs> stuff. It's yeah. just because it goes out a bit more sharply on the sides. Yes, uh, so I I am okay. I got some spyglaue burgundy glasses for reds. Um, they do make a more generic red glass. They also make a white glass. Um, and something about you mentioned the taper. Something to look for in white wine glasses versus red wine glasses is uh, you actually want your white wine glasses to be a little bit more tapered than your red glasses Mm -hmm. uh, because white wine aromas tend to be a little bit more on the delicate side. And so um, it helps funnel them in more, uh, particularly like floral notes or... Some of the more subtle mineral notes that you might get in a wine over a red uh, tend to be a little bit easier to smell if it's a little bit more tapered um, and red glasses. And you'll probably find in shopping that, you know, you'll find that they're kind of shaped that way if they're red or white specific. Anyway, the reds will have a little bit less of a sharp taper to them in general. Again, this is not a hard and fast rule, but it's just kind of like a a general guide and to what you're looking for. Uh, Now, one of my big uh, complaints in glassware is when I get too delicate of a glass, which I know a lot of people will say, oh, but it makes me feel fancier if I have a more delicate glass. When you get into that kind of glassware, for me, again, I'm a very utilitarian person. It is so much easier to break those glasses. Yeah, yeah. And they also just, to me, they do not feel as good in the hand as a, a more sturdy glass. Now, on the opposite end of that, I've also had glasses that are way too thick, and they feel kind of clunky.
0: <laughs> if you can't see this right now, I'm currently holding up my glass, which is definitely <laughs> clunky. These were bought for guests. And uh, yeah, no, I'm down to one of my good professional glasses, uh, which is a Bordeaux glass, by the way. So nice, big, round mm-hmm. base. Yeah. But um, yeah, I uh, was given a couple of the Rydell crystal glasses as a gift, and uh, three of them were destroyed <laughs> because they are very delicate. I yeah. mean, it, it is not hard to to destroy them. Now, granted. It would not have been the case if they were just handled a bit more delicately, but these are things you have to be thinking about in your home, especially, like, if you have kids. Yes. Yes. Don't bring out crystal glasses around kids. Mm -hmm. And if you're having a party, know your guests. Know
1: yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's a good way to put it.
0: Yeah, know your guests. But I didn't... uh, Yeah, the... The thing about um, just those delicate aromas, I hadn't put two and two together in that regard, but you're completely right. Uh, Even back when I was doing uh, wine tastings, one thing that we typically would do is set out smaller wine glasses Mm -hmm. for the whites, obviously for the temperature. But also just simply because people had a hard time discerning those more delicate aromas unless Mm -hmm. it did have that concentration.
1: Yeah. Well, those tend to be uh, aromas that will blow off a lot easier than some of the more fuller fruit aromas.
0: so, So I have here a couple of coins, and we're looking at the thickness of these coins in comparison to the glasses that I have here. Now, my Rydell glass definitely has something that's more on the side of like a, a quarter's thickness on the edge um, but the ones that we're having right now they're they're more like a nickel And in his case his is almost double a nickel uh,
1: yeah yeah well maybe like One and a half. One and a half. yeah i don't think it's quite double but it, it is a little bit thicker just to kind of give you a concrete thing
0: and would you say that this is fine for what you're drinking
1: oh i mean yeah thickness for me doesn't really affect um too much of how i'm tasting or smelling the wine it's more just it's a texture thing how does it feel in my hand yeah um and it kind of it sounds kind of snobby i think until you really have a variety of glassware in your hand which the more you taste wine the more you'll probably have that exact experience where you'll realize oh this glass feels a little bit off. Yeah. Um, and I think that thickness is kind of the... There's. I think everybody probably has their own individual sweet spot. I know I kind of tend to prefer something a little more in the middle. I don't like something normally quite as thick as this because this glass is frankly a little bit heavy. Um, but, yeah, it's I a, mean... It, it's a stemless. It's so a stemless. Yeah. Um, but it's also... It's a solid glass. Like, I'm not worried... Like, I would rather have this over a glass that's too thin, I'll say that, because I don't feel like if I set this down too hard, it's going to shatter. Yeah. Which is a concern that I have if my glass is too thin. So so,
0: so part of this is just basically how relaxed do you want to be yeah. when, you're, when you're drinking? Um, ballpark estimate as far as how much you're going to be spending on it, it's not going to be much. And if you go to a place to do a wine tasting, a lot of times they'll let you take the glassware home for free. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them are putting out solid glassware. I won't say who's doing what, just so that I don't accidentally start like a, a fire sale or anything. <laughs> um, but uh, essentially, it's not hard to get adequate glassware for for this. But again, you're thinking one red, one white. Avoid stemless if you can. If you're mm-hmm. comfortable with it, then that's fine. Um, but the the main thing that we we're thinking about when we're thinking stemmed as opposed to non-stemmed is just, you don't want to heat up the wine by grabbing it by the bowl of it. Yeah. And the stem gives you an opportunity to have leverage on the glass without
1: necessarily heating up the liquid. And you also, uh, and this is a little bit more for just the professional wine tasting end of things. You also aren't putting fingerprints all over the bowl if you're holding by the stem uh, because, one of the ways that we'll assess wine in a more serious context is to look at it. Look <laughs> at you, you can learn a lot about a wine by looking at it, uh, and you know if you have a glass with fingerprints all over it, that will affect how you're viewing the wine. So it it's it is a practical reason. It's not just people yeah. being snooty or anything. It really does have a uh, have a very real application to why. Stemless glasses. I mean, I have stemless glasses on my house, so it's not like you can't have them, and I'll I, I so drink so out of them. Um, yeah, I'm drinking out of one right now, but it, it's not a... If you're drinking a serious one, I just would recommend keeping it in a stem. Now, moving on from glassware... There are other stemless... things that we need in the kitchen. We, yeah. we had
0: this problem earlier tonight, actually.
1: <laughs> um, there are a couple of other
0: accessories that a person needs. Uh you need a wine opener, yep. obviously, mm-hmm. uh, and you are also going to probably need some wine away. Um, I always recommend that a person grab wine away. Wine away is a citrus based, uh, a citrus based cleaner that basically takes the pigment right out of the wine. Um, you throw a little bit of that on a white shirt, toss it in the washer, comes out fantastic. Um, do it while the wine is still wet. By the way, as far yeah. as a wine opener, though. We both of us, I think, actually have the same philosophy here is do not get the rabbit ear,
1: ones. yeah, and they, don't drop
0: $40 for an electric one either.
1: Yeah, they so you know, if you have like maybe if you have arthritis or something where you have something that really is it, it's just a matter of it's e- a lot easier, I totally get that. Um, but like dropping the $40 for the for the electric one, or, or are you talking about the rabbit ears? I mean, I guess either one, whichever one is easier for you to use, but I would say for the average person, I will always recommend getting the hand corkscrew uh, over any of these. The The main reason being, electric openers and the rabbit ear ones, they just, I have, cannot tell you at other people's houses where I've been handed one how many times I've shred corks. Yeah. Yeah doing them Um, well and another
0: thing is is the corkscrew as opposed to the threaded needle Mm -hmm. the threaded needle is the worst thing ever so with the corkscrew you have uh something that you know is like a wire and it's a corkscrew and it just it just snakes right on down into the cork when you have the one that's basically it looks like a, a a screw that's going to mess things up because that's putting a hole right down the middle. It's Mm -hmm. threaded. Cork is not made that durable. You need something that has the corkscrew. Yeah. And for some reason, well, I mean, I know why. If you're using the rabbit ear ones in the the first place, you're making that as a product, Mm -hmm. then you're not thinking about what's best for the wine. Yeah. Um, You know, it's, it's typically not going to be
1: the actual corkscrew even. Yeah. And, with the uh, hand corkscrews as well, you have a foil cutter most of the time on them. Uh, so you don't have to use a separate knife to cut the foil. Which can be dangerous. Which can be dangerous. So there's that aspect too. And also, in my personal opinion, because uh, I mean, listen, way back in the day, I was using the rabbit ear opener. Um, but the more I got into wine, the more I was like, I. I'm tired of corks breaking on me all the time. So I'm going to get an actual corkscrew. So now I, I genuinely do think it's actually easier. And again, I, I know part of it is that I've just gotten used to using that form of opening wine, but it really does make it easier in the long run. In my yeah. opinion, um, I just feel like I spend less time trying to, Manhandle, a and you can pick up more one more of these skirt. for for less than ten dollars. Yeah, so and we're looking at what
0: uh ten dollars for for a decent red glass, yeah. and ten dollars for a decent white glass, mm-hmm. and then maybe ten dollars for a decent wine mm-hmm. opener.
1: Yeah, it, if you want to go kind of like the like professional wine opener route, I think you can find them for. I'm trying to remember how much mine was because mine is one of the more like thick uh, restaurant ones, but I, I want to say I spent like 15 to 20 on that. I don't quote me on that, but it, it will cost you a little bit more if you want to get one of the more durable ones. Yeah. But I mean, durability is something that you want to think about if you know that you're, especially you for a wine opener, you don't want to yeah. be replacing that every couple of months. Yeah. Cause some of the cheap ones bend really easily,
0: but, but all in all, we're looking at around a 30 to $35 investment. Yeah. Get yourself some basic stuff, get your wine away, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mama, mama, don't need the uh, carpet stained. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and that's really all you need in your kitchen to start out with. Uh, you don't need a wine chiller. You don't need a
1: uh, a climate-controlled, anything like that. These are good I'm basic sure, things. I'm sure you have a fridge in your kitchen. Mm-hmm. Your wine, mm-hmm. if it needs to be chilled, will be just fine in the fridge. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, now, as far as the wine itself, now, you and I actually, we... Took a little bit of a field trip, and this is... We did. We we uh, wanted to be able to actually uh, talk about how we go about selecting our wine, and so we did. We went to uh, Wegmans, actually, today. Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of
1: different places that have a decent selection. This is the one that we ended up choosing today. We chose them mainly because our Wegmans here just has a really big wine oh. department. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> huge. Huge wine department. And uh, I was hungry, so I went
0: ahead and, and wandered over and grabbed some food as well, and so mm-hmm. we just kind of decided to grab some food and then grab something that was going to go along with it. Yep. So I got uh, myself
1: some uh, salmon teriyaki, and uh, what, what was it that you got? Uh, I got a, basically like an Italian sub, yeah. I think it was called like Dan's Favorite or something.
0: Something peppery with a
1: couple of, uh, of cured meats. Yes.
0: Which is always lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh so then we we grabbed that stuff wandered over to our wine section and uh we started thinking on the lines of that Italian sub and our first thought was
1: actually thinking just about the intensity of the meats mm-hmm. at
0: least that's what you were saying
1: yeah well so Without trying to go too deep into wine pairing, because that is its own episode, probably. uh, You want to kind of match your flavor intensities with wine, or you want to contrast your flavor intensities with wine. Um, So if you're eating, for similarities, Cabernet Sauvignon and Steak is kind of the go-to that people always will reference, you know, two very big, bold flavors but then if you want to get in, I guess, more contrasting, um, sweeter, more aromatic white wines tend to go very well with um, particularly spicy Asian food. Um, and part of that is because, you know, the wine tends to be a little bit more refreshing in that instance, to kind of help balance out that heat and that spice intensity of the flavor. While still being
0: mostly floral and not actually cutting away from yeah. those nuttier
1: or spicier profiles. Exactly. So my first thought was looking at the Rhone Valley, because uh, Rhone's tend to be very... Uh, in both the north and the south, it, they do tend to be on the intense end of the flavor spectrum. And and Rhone is located in
0: France. Yes. For for those of you who uh, might not know the different wine regions. Um, So let's just have a brief description. How would you describe the Rhone Valley?
1: Um, So the Rhone Valley, when I guess I should probably, for clarity's sake, divide it into the northern and southern Rhone Mm -hmm. um, because they are stylistically They are very different. Um, The Northern Rhone, you're going to get Syrah, which is the same grape as Shiraz if you drink Australian wines. Um, But the style of Northern Rhone Syrah is a lot more um, refined, I guess, is the way I would describe it, than an Australian Shiraz. Australian Shiraz tends to be big, bold, fruity. Um, Northern Rhone Syrah tends to be... uh, pepper black pepper is a pretty dominant note that people will call out in that region um it tends to be not quite as full-bodied all the i mean higher quality wines are going to be more full-bodied full-bodied excuse me um but the in general the body will be a little bit lighter they're also not getting as ripe so the alcohol content will be as high which also contributes to a little bit less of a full body and again they just kind of tend to have a more refined style of winemaking there uh some more Delicate aromas, not quite as in your face and and bold and brash as an Australian Shiraz. How would you
0: describe the. Because I
1: actually love Australian Shiraz. Oh, I do too. I don't um, say this as a. uh, I'm not uh trying to say one is better than the other. But they are very different. It's
0: just two different styles of wine. Because with the Shiraz out of Australia, you're talking huge flavors. You're talking. You know, you still kind of have those peppery elements, but Mm -hmm. the peppery elements come out to me as more of a woody spice mm-hmm. and you're getting those huge inky ripe fruits. Yeah. I mean they are just explosive with with blackberry and yeah. cherry and you're talking you're talking just the most jammy stuff. Even mm-hmm. I think there's a brand called uh, well, I won't say specific brands but most of the time you even have the names playing off of the idea of jam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is yeah, this yeah, yeah. is jam.
1: Yeah, and uh, a lot of that, it, again, is it's a hotter climate, much hotter climate. They're able to achieve a lot more ripeness. The, Rhone, the northern Rhône is not super hot. Um, it's kind of a moderate climate there. Um, and so you're not getting as ripe. So instead of blueberry, you're probably getting more in the blackberry spectrum of fruit. Um, and Syrah can also, uh, sometimes it'll have almost like a meaty aroma when it's from the northern Rhône Valley. Mm-hmm. And that's actually kind of going, I guess, into the Southern Rhone. Meaty aromas tend to be very dominant wines there from uh, Mouved, which is uh, one of the primary grapes there. So Garrosh, uh, uh Simsel, if I remember correctly, and Mouved tend to be some of your big um, blending grapes. So that's a big difference is Northern Rhone. It does have um, some white grapes, but not a whole lot. You have Condra, which is Viognier but in southern rhone or in northern rhone sorry you have syrah as kind of your primary red grape and then when you move in the southern rhone you start getting the blends and those wines do tend to be more so the southern rhone is hotter than the northern rhone and you're getting riper grapes and you're getting more um intensity of flavor that I more th- alcohol
0: content too, yes typically.
1: you're typically getting into high alcohol wines at yeah. that point um, and a, a, that comes directly from ripeness
0: so grapes. and so we have with this thought you know we're we're talking about a meal we're talking about we have some peppery cured meats so we're we're looking at the rhone valley because of its potential and its reputation to give out kind of these peppery uh fruit forward but but refined wines in order to kind of match that that power.
1: Yeah.
0: Now, of course, when I got over there, I immediately start looking at Alsace and Provence because yeah. I actually love rosé, and I put it into your head, the idea of getting a Grenache instead of a Provence rosé. Uh, so yes. Provence is one of those other regions that grows a lot of rosé. Yes. Um, but I was I was thinking, in order to match the intensity... You could kind of have those more delicate aromas and flavors, um, not having something as overpowering as a red, while still having some of the grit and some of the uh, notes coming off of those skins, which is how a rosé gets its color anyway. Yeah. And uh, you and I decided in that moment that France was not where we were looking anymore. Yep. We were going to Spain. Yes. And so uh, what, did, what did we end up getting? Because we went back and forth on a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. but Yeah, I held us up for a while because yeah, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't decide. Which is perfectly fine. You can take your time in a wine shop. It's part of the experience.
1: Uh, so we ended up going with a Rioja, uh, the Rio Madre, I guess. Um, and this is a Garnacha, which is the same grape as Grenache, from Rioja. And it went really well with my sandwich. Oh, yeah, you still haven't tried it. You yeah, no, I haven't tried it yet. Uh, it surprised me, actually, because the wine is very uh, full-bodied, and it has this really amazing texture that I wasn't really expecting. So, full disclosure, I don't drink a lot of rosé. Um, I tend to be a pretty regular red drinker I'm, I'm giggling because i i think michael is really enjoying this uh, the wine is the wine is is very very nice and very uh very rich and i wasn't really expecting that but you know that's kind of why i wanted to go with a Grenache rosé or garnacha in this case rosé because the grape is a pretty bold grape. Yeah. Um, it's red fruit forward, but it is still very, very bold. Um, this one, and I kind of was hoping I would get this because sometimes for me at least, Garnacha can come across as a little bit of a peppery, almost like a chili kind of in that spectrum of flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit herbal. And I was kind of like, that. that will go well, I think, with the spices that are in this cured meat that i'm going to be eating in this sandwich and uh i my hopes were fulfilled Uh, i'm actually very happy with the wine itself so what's your feedback since you just tried it oh no i mean i i really enjoyed this wine you kind of get that
0: strawberry aroma on it there's a bit of nuttiness to it um i would say that the the texture itself is like a soft leather Mm -hmm. um With rosés, you're actually getting a bit of the tannin as well. With chardonnay and other whites, you're not getting as many tannins because you're not steeping with the skins. But in this case, because you're steeping with the skins, which is what gives it that color, like I was saying... You end up getting actually some of that texture, mm-hmm. and I think that that's beautiful. There's also yeah. uh, kind of like a subtle raspberry finish to it. Yeah, but you're right in saying that there's there's definitely some of this spice to it. It's not overpowering. It's just no. enough to yeah. kind of blend that kind of fruit. And spice together. Mm-hmm. And I could see how that would be perfect with, like, cured meats. I would be interested to try this with, like, some blue cheese. I think that would go Ooh, pretty well. Yeah, that would I be actually different. have some blue cheese. Oh, hey, maybe we should try it after we're I, done. I think, I think we
1: should because that's
0: fantastic.
1: Yeah. I, I And this was, um, gosh, like ten ninety nine. dollars I yeah. think. Spain famously underprices their wine. Oh, we should probably say. So we had a budget. We were not that's going right. to go above $25. We kind of figured... In most people's trying to, you know, purchase a wine for dinner, they're probably not going to be wanting to spend more than that. I think realistically, even more people are probably going to be trying to search for under 20 but I think 25 is a fair price yeah. point. Um, and I, I found this for just above $10. So Yeah.
0: And honestly, with a lot of things from Spain... Spain is one of the exceptions to the rule. It's just like no, you'll get a fantastic wine for, for ten dollars, eleven dollars. Mm-hmm. You'll get a fantastic wine because they 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 cannot price their stuff at its value. Well, they just they, can't do
1: it right now. Compared to um, some of the other old world, so when people say old world versus new world, old world just think Europe and new world is basically everywhere else. Yeah, um, old world is pretty established, especially France and like Germany um, tend to have. Higher reputations. Spain, in terms of actually producing more quality wines, their wine industry is kind of newer on that spectrum. Uh, so, you know, they're still not quite as um, high on their price points because of that. Yeah. So, what about you? What 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 were you looking for with your dinner, and what decision did you make based off of that?
0: So i uh, I got my teriyaki. Um, it was a salmon dish with some noodles um i knew that i didn't want to have anything that was going to be super strong because it was going to take away the more delicate flavors inside of that more sweet teriyaki sauce uh, but luckily i had a meatier fish uh, when you're doing uh, white fish as opposed to uh, any other type of fish really um you're you're also looking at the strength of the meat itself you don't want to get a wine that's going to overpower your meat that's why people say you know white wine with chicken Red wine with steak. So I'm looking at this pink meat, and uh, you actually made a recommendation. I was thinking something that was fairly acidic, but not too acidic. Um, I wanted something that was going to have some more of those floral notes. And that's when you decided that you were going to recommend uh, Willem, um, which is not a a type that I had had before. Uh, and I was thinking Gewürz Demeanor, so I ended up with the Willem Alsace Grand Cru Gewirts Demeanor from 2013. It was right at the edge of our budget, right around a uh, twenty four ninety nine. Yep. Um, and it turned out beautifully. This is a a lovely wine. It uh, I would describe it as um, as semi-sweet. Uh, it, you're you're more than welcome to to have a try of it, actually. I don't think you've tried it yet.
1: I would uh I would put it from what I remember, I mean, you not know, nah, keep talking. Let me let me try. Yeah, give it a try. I would say semi-sweet to sweet,
0: because it's not Moscato sweet, and it's not even. Um, I've had rieslings that
1: were sweeter. So I would put this on the upper end of off-dry, actually. Which I guess I'm used to a five-point scale for sweetness rather than just like. And I haven't had Moscato Moscato in over a year. Yeah. Well, so I think because this wine, so this wine has a, like a beautiful, uh, stone fruit, peach, apricot, nectarine. Like it has acidity,
0: but that acidity is definitely like this beautiful peach acidity. It's soft.
1: Yeah. And those, those fruit flavors are so like juicy. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's juicy. Um. I think because I'm not getting a whole lot of actual like sugar sweetness and that's something that's something to look out for when you're tasting wine is a lot of people if they taste a very fruity wine they will say this is a sweet wine when the wine is actually bone dry because we are so used to tasting fruit and there being sugar in the fruit and you kind of have to separate the two when you're drinking wine you have to kind of think am I tasting the flavor of the fruit? And I'm thinking this is supposed to be sweet, so I'm going to say it's sweet Mm -hmm. versus is there actual sugar? Because uh, my wine instructor always says that sugar is red kind of more on the tip of your tongue versus the rest of your palate. And fruit tends to be more in the middle of your tongue. Um, So there definitely is some sugar here. And like I said, I do think this is on the upper end of off dry, but I still would personally kind of put it more in that.
0: Well, and it also has an element of like sourness to it. Like mm-hmm. this, definitely is something that that makes you salivate a little bit. It's uh, which can contribute to that rich feeling where, it's yeah, just, like, it, it almost seems like it's sweeter than it is, simply because it's giving you that that bit of salivating uh, mm-hmm. sourness.
1: Yeah, it's a uh, it's almost. It, I, I would say there there are some tropical fruit notes in that because. Uh, what you're describing to me reminds me a lot of pineapple juice. Um, oh, and, that and, is and, so correct. And yeah. when I drank it, I was like, "Oh, this kind of has that." I, you know, once that that initial peach apricot flavor kind of gets off of your yeah. tongue, immediately there's that kind of like tart, biting pineapple. You know, and
0: I was thinking along the line like a lemon head that bit of like candy like mm. yeah citric acid but now that you mentioned pineapple i think that that's actually spot on mm-hmm. it's it's that almost like not not quite fresh pineapple but delicate pineapple yeah it's a very delicate pineapple flavor yeah yeah i, I love this the aroma to me is also it's like sweet violets and honeysuckles mm-hmm. it's it's a delicious wine yeah um Gewehr's demeanor uh, riesling I like I like a lot of these more delicate whites and especially if you're looking for something to serve like after dinner these are also really good ideas for like
1: aperitifs
0: mm-hmm. these um, are also
1: really it, well. I know a lot of people love rosé as their default summer wine, but I, that's kind of more what I go for in the summer, Are more aromatic floral white wines.
0: Yeah, something that's able to, to give you some of those fruit aromas, but, but the floral aromas are just delicate enough to actually lift you without overpowering you. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, uh, when we're talking about this process, you know, we go in, we have an idea of what we're going to be eating. Um, we are trying to match strengths there. We're looking at regions. Um, we're looking at the types of fruits that we enjoy, and that's really the sort of thing that we were thinking a person needs to be looking at when they're walking into a wine shop in order to grab a bottle. Now, of course, we are sticking below that twenty-five dollar limit value. Yeah. Um, we're trying to make sure that we are not recommending wines that either may reside outside of a person's taste experience. Or just their financial range. Yeah. Um, one thing that we we were thinking about is just a corkscrew versus, or uh, excuse me, um, a cork versus a screw cap. Mm-hmm. Um, and cork versus screw cap. A lot of times, screw caps they are just there because the wine is not meant to age for very long. It's supposed to be. It's that early early drinking. Um, the quality is it's not something that you can tell based on whether or not it has a screw cap or a cork. And also
1: with screw caps, particularly in uh, in Australia and New Zealand, I know particularly, particularly in New Zealand, you'll find a lot of screw caps because they produce a lot of Sauvignon Blanc there and a lot of Pinot Noir there. And those are,
0: well, some Pinot
1: Noirs can't age for a very long time, but a lot of what comes out of New Zealand tends to be yeah. less on that spectrum. Which, if you've never had a New Zealand Sauvignon
0: Blanc and you enjoy green tea, like matcha, yeah. try Sauvignon
1: Blanc. Yeah, or you like the smell of lemongrass. Or, yeah, um, you
0: like some Tom Kha, get yourself some Sauvignon Blanc.
1: Yeah. In fact, Tom Kha and Sauvignon Blanc. That, that would Blanc be I, I, actually, Yeah, <laughs> as soon as you said it, my ears perked up. And yeah. I said, oh, that sounds delightful. <laughs> actually, I, I might need second dinner now. <laughs> I need to have it. Yeah, yeah, still open. (laughs) I'll drive a half hour. I don't care. But a a lot of those bottles have a screw cap. Mm. Uh, People, I think when they see screw cap, uh, I know this is kind of a general misconception is it's a quality indicator. It means it's a cheap wine. That really isn't the case. It really is um, more of a practical decision. Uh, If you don't need to utilize cork to keep your wine fresh. If it's not meant to, you know, age past maybe another year past when it gets on the shelf, then just put a screw cap on it. Um, There really isn't any, any reason to look down on those wines. Um, The reason cork is more for age-worthy wines is because it allows for very minuscule amounts of oxygen to get into the wine, which will help the aging process. But even wines that aren't meant to age are still sealed with corks in other regions and whatnot. Um, and, but in he, some
0: cases you even have people who just simply, they're not making that decision based on anything but, well, we've been doing a cork for forever. So.
1: Yeah, a lot of it is tradition. Um, and corks are just very widely accessible for wine producers and, um, in the industry. Uh, so, you know, if you see a screw cap, don't be intimidated by it. Don't, don't think that it's an indicator of a lesser quality wine. I think more important would be to ask yourself, what do I like or what do I know that I like already? And if you don't really know what you like already, just kind of look at what food do I like to eat? Um, Precisely. Do I like, you know, salmon like you had for dinner or do I like steak? And Google really is... Your best friend, I think, in a lot of ways, when it comes to wine, because you know you can kind of look up what what's the recommended pairing wine for you know whatever my favorite food is, and you can at least start with that, you know. Yeah. So well, you're not going completely blind. And you
0: know? also, you're when you're looking at what types of foods do you like. The cool thing about wine is that wine has a lot of surprises for you. Definitely. Wine. Wine has the ability to taste like graphite. Wine has the ability to taste like limestone. You know, wine has the ability to taste like all manners of different types of fruits. And there are different textures to it. Do you enjoy the smell of a humidor? Okay. get There's, some- there's wines for you. <laughs> there's wines for you. Get something from Spain. Get yourself yeah. a Tempranillo. Get yourself something with some of those spicy... Spicy uh, uh, Spanish cedar mm-hmm. aromas yeah there's so there's such a large world of aromas and flavors that you can get and you can really start asking yourself questions about your own taste that maybe you haven't asked yourself before um, And so like find out what what sort of foods do you like you like steak all right well what is it about the steak? do you do a lot of black pepper on your steak? Mm-hmm. Well then maybe you should try one of these. Uh, Northern Rhone Valley, uh, Shiraz. Yeah. Or maybe you actually like those big, ripe fruit notes. Well, go ahead and get yourself an Australian Shiraz. Yeah. Uh, or maybe you like something that's delicate. You like the taste of tar- tart cherries. You can go for a Pinot Noir. And uh, these are you know basic things that we're talking about. But but really understand that you can ask yourself a lot of questions about your taste preferences. And there more than likely is going to be a wine for you that's going to be able to draw on the curiosity and the enjoyment
1: of that taste preference. And along the line of asking questions, don't be afraid if you walk into a wine shop, if it's a halfway decent wine shop, their staff will be able to help you identify what you like and point you to a good wine to suit your taste within a budgeted range (laughs) (laughs) yeah within a budgeted range oh gosh Uh, that's that's the first couple of questions that i
0: normally would ask a customer actually when they came in it was just like all right what are you looking for oh well i'm having a dinner party okay uh how many guests do you have i have five guests okay so we're talking about drink per hour per person so you have five guests how long is your arrangement okay so you have a four hour arrangement Five guests at one hour, or uh, one drink per hour per person. Okay, so what what price range are we looking at? You know, well, I want to spend ten dollars a bottle. Okay, how much do you like your guests? No, um, <laughs> no. The, the next question, of course, is what are you serving? But typically, the the main things that people look for is they're like, oh, well, I like a red, and I want to spend twenty bucks. Yeah, or I like a red, I want to spend fifteen bucks. Okay, well, what type of red do you like? Mm-hmm. Do you like something a bit more intense? Do you like something a little less intense? What have you enjoyed before? You know, have you had a Cabernet Sauvignon that you've really enjoyed? Well, if you haven't, then maybe today is not the day that we're buying Cabernet Sauvignon. Because it's okay to develop your taste from wherever you're at. Yeah. And the staff of wherever you end up going, they're more than likely going to be able to accommodate you as long as you're honest about what it is that you're looking for.
1: Yep. And I would say if you already kind of know what you like, let's say you like Burgundian... Reds, which is Pinot Noir, maybe try a different region. You know, contrast go, the two. Yeah, go go to Oregon or Washington. Um, or uh, go or, or or Oregon or or, or Oregon. <laughs> or Oregon. <laughs> um, I like Oregon Pinot Noirs, uh, uh, but I, you know, I I am always one of my things that I've had to get myself out of is trying the same wines over, over and, over, and again. over again. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, if you already kind of know what you like, but you're a little bit scared to maybe venture out too much, like, you know, if you like oat white Chardonnay from California. Then you're
0: in the minority.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, maybe try... A style of Chardonnay from like Australia or somewhere with maybe a similar climate, but the style of the wine might be yeah. a little bit different. Or try an unoaked Chardonnay.
0: Or try an unoaked Chardonnay. And yeah. Uh, River Roads has a fantastic uh, unoaked Chardonnay. Um, or like partially oaked
1: ways. Chardonnays. Yeah. So those yeah. exist where they do some of the barrel or some of the wine comes from barrels, some of it comes from you know, an, an inert vessel like stainless steel. You know, just experiment because nine times out of ten. Actually, I would say more like 9.99999999 times out of 10. That's a lot of nines. It's a lot of nines, but I'm confident in the number. Uh, You probably like more wine than you think you do. And I, I, to this day, I have tried a lot of wine. When I was taking level three, some of the classes we would try upwards of like eight wines a night. You know, I've drunk... Only eight, huh? (laughs) We had spit cups, okay? We weren't getting wasted in class. (laughs) If you had been to the corporate trainings I've been to... (laughs) They line up, like, 30 bottles of wine on the table, and you're just kind of like... You just kind of go, ugh.
0: No, by the end of it, it's just like, this tastes like a grape.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, your your palate will get burnt out if you try too many wines at once. Yeah, no, don't do that. If you're
0: going to go to a wine tasting, like, maybe do, like
1: five or six. Yeah, no. So, you know, I I mentioned earlier, part of what got me into wine was literally doing wine tastings at wineries. Something my dad and I found is at maximum, we will do three in a day, but even that is a little bit on our high end. We normally will do two and we'll space those out by several hours if we can because, oh my gosh, your palate will get so fatigued if you're not careful (laughs) doing wine tastings. And if you're not doing a spit take, you will you know, get you'll little, feel it. You'll get a little tipsy. And yeah. that's not always a fun experience. If you're trying to enjoy another winery. Well, it's, it's,
0: you lose more and more precision the more you drink. And, that, mm-hmm. and that's just a fact of life. Yeah. You will lose more precision the more that you drink. So if you're not, if you're not spitting, then you're just decreasing the level of precision that you can really place things. And we can get more into tasting in, in the next episode. Yeah. Uh, which, which we will. Um, but but the main thing is just get yourself a bottle.
1: Yeah. Get yourself the appropriate glassware. Yep. Um And back to what I was saying, yeah. don't be don't be scared to try something new because most try of the time there's a wine out there that you might not think that you like. Like I actually we were just talking about this at the store earlier. I thought that I didn't like Riesling because Riesling oh, where yeah. we get it here is almost <laughs> always sweet or at least off dry. And I, I don't, I love this group's demeanor that you have, but you know, mm. I typically don't even really drink off dry wines. I tend to go like I, when it comes to sparkling wines, I have a brute nature, which means there's literally like zero sugar in that wine. Uh, I tend to go for very, very dry wine. Uh, but I thought that's, that's, that's what Riesling is. It's just sweet and floral and too, too much for my nose but I tried one in class, actually, that really changed my mind. Which was above our budget for today. We yeah, we ran, ran, ran into, into, into that it. bottle. We ran into it in the store. Well, I don't, I, I don't know if it's the same vintage now that I think about it. What was the it, but name it was, of that bottle? Do you remember? It was the Doctor Lucan um, Grosses Gewecks. Uh, you can probably just put GG because they put GG on the bottle. Um, it was expensive. It was. It, it was what like. It was 49 dollars Yeah, it was a $50 bottle. But I remember. It is it is a beautiful wine. Like, I will swear by that wine. That was an amazing wine to drink. And I didn't expect to like it. So, just experiment, you know? Um, yeah. And, and maybe, the, maybe not too far out of your comfort zone if you're not familiar with the world of wine. Maybe don't go, if you know you like Moscato, maybe don't go to a Loire Valley Sauvignon Blanc. You might feel like you got slapped across the face with how austere that's going to be. Yeah. Um, but... You know, and again, or even an expensive
0: like, champagne actually would be yes. a bad idea yeah. for, um, for you
1: if you're just getting into wine. But, you know, again, don't be afraid to ask an attendant and don't be afraid to go a little bit out of your box.
0: Yeah. One, because also, if you get a, a decent quality wine,
1: which there's a difference between
0: noticing what makes a wine that wine and what might be indicating a flaw yeah uh we're not going to get too much into that even in our tasting episode i'm, I'm going to guess maybe you That's, can actually give us some yeah some stuff there
1: yeah um you'll kind of probably know if you're drinking a faulty wine most yeah. of the time there's there's just it's a little bit different than ooh, i don't like this it's more of kind of like I, there's something I'm wrong. unsure about this. Yeah, there's something I shouldn't be drinking in this most yeah. of the time, yeah.
0: Um, but having an experience with a wine where you're just like, "Well, I don't like this." That's actually still a valuable experience. Yeah. Especially and and we'll talk about this in the tasting episode because there are certain things that you're going to look for. You're going to look for, "How is this this way? How is this acidic? How is this tannic? How is this fruity?" And being able to have a way of describing those is actually going to help you discover more about yourself yep. um, and your wine preferences. Yep. Um, uh, is there anything that you would like to add as far as just selecting a person's first bottle of wine oh, or, or any notes on that?
1: Well, uh, again, first, well, if we're going to go like first, first bottle of wine, um, I would, again, kind of going back to earlier, I really would recommend you just go on Google And look for what wine pairs with what food you generally like. And just go. And I would say I have a personal rule. I don't buy wines under $10 unless I either know the producer or I have a recommendation. Yeah, Um, I just... When you get under $10, you tend to get into a price point where it's... uh, Not a whole lot of care is being put into... The wine that's in that bottle again that is not a hard and fast rule but in general it's not as great normally the quality isn't quite there and i've noticed a lot of wines under ten dollars tend to almost have them they just tend to taste watered down compared to above ten dollars and that sounds like a very arbitrary number but it it just it's my experience and it's the experience of several people that i know um so don't go too cheap but you can buy a wine in that 10 to 20 range that is, I mean, like the wine I'm drinking right now, $11 essentially. Great wine. Awesome. From Spain. Um, so, you know, you don't have to break the bank, but don't go too low either. And listen, I shop by label sometimes. Yeah. Um, if it has a catchy label, the worst that you can find out, as long as you're not, you know, dropping too much money on the wine, the worst you can find it is, is, well, it's just not, not really my thing. Yeah. Um, so, I would just say be adventurous in your buying habits and, you know, experiment a little bit. Have some fun. Wine wine needs to be fun. That's why we're doing this in the first place, right? Is Some people take wine way too seriously, which wine is a serious thing. Don't get me wrong. I've taken wine very seriously. Um, But I take wine seriously so that I can have more fun with it. Yeah. And I think that's really the value of wine is wine brings people together. In a way that a lot of other things don't really. I mean, you know, even if I were if I were to walk into a party and say I'm into whiskey, I'll probably perk up, you know, three heads in the room. Mm. But if I say I like wine, most of the people in that room, in my experience, are probably going to be interested in what I have to say about wine. Because wine just, there's something about it that a lot of people seem to really enjoy. It's definitely something that you can do conversationally.
0: And again, when you're sharing an experience with, with people, especially if you're bringing wine to a party or something, you know, you don't you don't need to know everything about it. And no. Typically people, they don't want to actually, they don't want to hear everything that we're saying right now. They want to yeah. hear, I got this from, from a wine shop. It's from France. Yeah. It's a red... You'll like it. Yeah. Now, the thought that I put into that was that this is a Burgundian Pinot
1: Noir. Yeah,
0: it was going to go perfectly <laughs> with what they were serving at this
1: party, and I know the yeah. most. You probably don't want to hear me talk about why I think that this rosé probably underwent a malolactic conversion because I think it did, and what that even means, or why. Blah 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 blah. Well, you probably you, don't. you might want to hear. This. We can talk about this after we cut. <laughs> yeah. We so well,
0: and 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 you may even be curious about this if you're a listener. But the point is is that you experience this world for yourself. So I, I put together just a small cheat sheet. You can tell me whether or not you think this is kind of a good beginner's guide. Here are some common drinks that people enjoy, and here are some recommendations that I would make based off of that. That's so, a good idea. So if you like black coffee, Cabernet, Zinfandel, Malbec. I agree. So Cabernet, you're going to get those big tannins. You're going to get some darker flavors. Zinfandel, you're going to get some of those deep chocolatey flavors mixed with some ripe fruits and a little bit of herbaceousness with it too. A little bit. Malbec, you're going to get some leatheriness. Yeah, that's going to give you more of that texture that you might be looking for. It's still very dark. Mm-hmm. It's very good. Yeah. Uh, if you liked iced coffee, I would say like an Italian white, something a bit more on the nutty side, or maybe go with something that's like a Pinot Noir. So still those intense flavors, but on the lighter side.
1: Yeah. I think I would add something more in the steel Chardonnay mm-hmm. family. Well, um, it depends on what type of iced coffee we're going for. If you like
0: like a cold brew type deal, you're drinking black iced coffee, then yeah. I would mm-hmm. go for the stainless steel. You want something that's a little bit on the acidic side. You want yeah. something that's a little biting. But it still has the body of fruit to, to exactly. carry it. Yeah. If you like something with a little cream, well, again, you're in the minority. You're going to want some Chardonnay. You're going to want something you that's want pretty some, heavily some oaked.
1: oaked Chardonnay, yeah. You, you
0: want some vanilla in your life. You want some malolactic fermentation in your mm-hmm. life. Do yourself a favor. Go out. Get anything with the name butter in it. Yeah. Um, it's, if it's a chardonnay the yep. more
1: than likely you're
0: yep. gonna like it and that's not even an insult i, I love like Alison Crow's buttercream hey i think it's fantastic if, it, if
1: it's honest with its labeling all the more reason to to buy it yeah right? actually my my favorite chardonnay
0: that i've ever had was actually something that was opened without my permission because the people that i was living with at the time they didn't realize that it was my wine because it was oh, no. in their closet oh no and uh it was actually um quite expensive oh
1: no oh yeah oh, oh no. no i haven't told you the story have i no
0: oh dear uh it was oh gosh um uh name
1: uh, a house in california that's really expensive uh, my producer knowledge is so bad at the moment um it's, yeah. It was a very expensive house, actually. The audience will have to forgive me. I didn't study to become a psalm, so I haven't really done a lot of producers. I am much more focused on the production side of wine. So if you give me a really nice producer, I can tell you why the wine tastes the way that it does, and I can probably identify uh, a little bit of the winemaking process. But uh, if you give me their name and I give you a blank look, Please be patient with me and forgive me for not knowing your prestigious producer. I do know some of the old world producers off the top of my head a little bit better, uh, but even then, that's primarily in Burgundy and Bordeaux because those are the ones that are some of the most expensive bottles in the world, which, you know, out of my price range, but I definitely respect the legacy that they hold. Yeah.
0: This particular one was... uh it was very expensive. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say too much about it. But but it was very creamy, very buttery. And the people that I was with, they ended up actually just taking it and opening it and drinking it. Found out actually that uh, the the wife of the person that I was living with. Apparently has expensive taste. She does not like wine, but she liked this wine. Oh no! So um. Oh no! So my gift to him was never telling her how expensive that wine was. <laughs> oh, oh no! <laughs> um, which it was funny. My first question was actually, please tell me that you paired it with hot dogs, and, and you know, of course, he was just like, what, "What are you talking about?" I'm like that Chardonnay that you had last night. What did you, what did you pair it? With? <laughs> and, No, it's terrible. I was like, what did you pair it with? He goes, oh, I just had it. I was just like, man, I was really hoping that you had paired it with hot dogs or something. He goes, oh, I'm sorry. Was that yours? And I'm like, oh, you're so precious. Yes, that was mine.
1: Oh, man. And he's just
0: like, oh, uh, well, I'm sorry. Um, Do you want me to replace it? I'm like, I don't think that you want to replace it. (laughs) I'm like, did you enjoy it? oh yeah 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 i enjoyed it i'm sorry was that yours i'm like yes it was mine (laughs) it was my wine i had it at a 30 percent discount oh and i still was actually making a bad decision when i bought it oh Oh,
1: dear it was yeah one day but but, and i am maybe that'll be my christmas
0: gift to you this year no please don't buy (laughs) that i would feel bad actually um if you uh, so so back to our cheat sheet. If so, if you like something uh, that's more on the buttery side, if you enjoy, If you like bulletproof coffee.
1: Uh, if you like, yeah, actually,
0: yeah. I like bulletproof
1: coffee. Yeah, if you like bulletproof coffee, I I, I would actually I would say chardonnay, oak chardonnay, and you know what? I would add merlot, a a, a quality merlot. Merlot tends to be. Tell me your thought process here. Uh, t- merlot tends to be kind of frowned upon by a lot of people. I think a lot of people view it as a cheap grape, which is mostly to do with the movie that came out. Y- yeah. Um, and it is true that Merlot kind of tends to be... Uh, my instructor jokes that Merlot is the medium grape. It tends to be medium tannin, medium body, medium intensity on the nose and the palate. Like, it's a very just kind of like medium across the board kind of wine, But... Uh, go to left bank Bordeaux wines. It's typically, they're Merlot dominant and you'll typically get some Cab Franc blended in, but they are able in that region in particular to really achieve just a beautifully finessed mm-hmm. Merlot in that area. Um, but I don't even like any of that.
0: I, what I want is some matcha.
1: Oh, man. Let me tell you about Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs>
0: Sauvignon Blanc. Especially out of New Zealand. That's a great idea. But yeah. what if I don't even like much? What if I'm more of a white tea drinker?
1: Uh, white tea, you could... Well, Chenin Blanc would be a great, great for you. Um, a nice dry w- Riesling would actually be fantastic A dry you. Riesling. Um... And I, I would say Sauvignon Blanc again, but particularly Loire Valley yeah. Sauvignon
0: Blanc. No, we're, we're definitely not talking about New Zealand. New Zealand yeah. has
1: this punchy yeah new zealand's big it's, it's
0: big, big and it's loud. grassy yeah. it's like you have lemongrass that's just being like
1: grated on mm-hmm. your teeth yeah
0: if you're into that sort of intensity oh i love the it so it, do i
1: so many of you from new zealand is some of my favorite white in the world to drink honestly i, I do have one that i don't like but i won't say <laughs> no trash talk <laughs>
0: but but let's just say i know who you are and i know why you buy it <laughs> <laughs> um no, so so Sauvignon Blanc, you're definitely talking about that bigger grassier flavor. But if you're a white tea drinker, get something out of the Loire Valley, mm-hmm. um, a little bit
1: more subdued, still still high, ac- actually pretty high acid, yeah, maybe even a little austere, but, but floral,
0: definitely floral, more delicate,
1: a little bit flinty. You know, you, yeah. you tend to get a little bit of that minerality in the Loire Valley in your Sauvignon Blanc. But yeah, more delicate, more white um, tea, more more subdued, yeah,
0: more white tea. Yep. Um, now let's just say. I'm not even about that life. Okay, I have myself a strawberry daiquiri when I go out, mm-hmm. and I like a pra- passion fruit tea when I go to Starbucks. What, okay. a, what, a, what am I drinking?
1: Uh, I would say you're probably drinking Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir. Yeah, yeah. I um, would have to agree with that, particularly Washington mm-hmm. Pinot Noirs, because those tend to be very fruity.
0: A bit more on the mountainous side mm-hmm. is is where they're growing this stuff. So, um,
1: what would be a white that would match that palette? Oh, I mean, I would, I would
0: actually even say this
1: I was I was. was Gerustemuner was the first grape that popped into my head. Viognier as well, because <clears throat> those are, they're not the same grape by any means, but they, they're in the same family. They're aromatic. When we say aromatic grapes, um, we've said it a couple of times, aromatic grapes are grapes that tend to be very um, floral dominant, and they tend to be very expressive in terms <clears throat> of their aroma profile, whereas Chardonnay is not considered an aromatic grape. On its own, it tends to be more in the fruit category, um, apples, stone fruit, maybe tropical, depending on where it's grown. But Chardonnay uh, is not an aromatic variety because it doesn't have those really high-toned florals, and it's not quite as expressive in yeah. those, uh, just so people don't get confused. Not every white grape is going to be considered an aromatic. It's, it's normally Gewürztraminer, demeanor Riesling, Viognier uh torontes is another aromatic variety um if you've ever had any of those you probably will catch on pretty quick what aromatic quote-unquote means uh it's a very easy thing to identify once you try it
0: now i'm not
1: i don't really like any sort
0: of drink let's just say i drink black tea Mm -hmm. at all times and i love barbecue okay what am i going after here
1: um, if you like black tea and barbecue, I would go Southern Rome, particularly um Neuf de Pope or Pop oh, Chateau. Yeah. Um and I would I would uh, I know we already said Australian Shiraz, but I would put Australian Shiraz under that. I would again. definitely put that there. Uh Pinotage. Pinotage mm-hmm. is a great uh barbecue pairing wine mm-hmm. from South Africa, if you don't or if you are familiar with the grape.
0: So our, I guess our question would then be, what, what sort of things do you find yourself enjoying? Uh, I would even say, go ahead and put it in uh, comments, send us messages, uh, tell us what sort of stuff that you're, you're enjoying in your day-to-day life, yep. and uh, maybe during our tasting episode, we can even bring these up again, and we can start talking about other recommendations based on the other tastes. You and I drink a lot of wine. So next time, we're going to be going through our tasting process. Yes. Gabe and I will be tasting uh, these wines. We'll be going over our notes again with there, and we're going to be tasting some other things. We might have a surprise in store for for one another and an experiment about the preservation of wine. Yes. Uh, So this has been laid back lush. Do you have any, uh, closing remarks that you would like to make?
1: Uh, not really. Thank you for listening. First of all. Um, mm. but other than he's that, grateful, I'm spiteful. No, I'm also <laughs> grateful. Uh, other than that, uh, not really. Uh, I, I would just, again, I'd encourage people to not take wine too seriously yeah. and not worry about, I would say this as a closing remark, Never let anyone make you feel lesser than for what you drink. If you love white Zinfandel, you love white (laughs) Zinfandel. And never let anyone look down on you for it. I can't point you to a good one. (laughs) <laughs>
0: but michael. i will respect your choice i joking
1: no. <laughs> we're supposed to we're supposed to help our audience michael not mock our audience oh no no, no.
0: <laughs> actually i love sweeter wines and we will be talking more about sweeter wines as well um i love a good moscato uh i love a good Frisanti. Uh we'll be talking about that and other differences in, in upcoming episodes. So again, thank you so much for listening to Laid Back Lush. I've been Michael, and this is Gabe. And uh, thank you for having us. Happy drinking. Happy drinking.